it's a good 30 minutes of content yeah, we can never use. You decided to do that. It's for the it's for the premium subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> that over the course of its illustrious decades spanning or actually decades in closing existence has now seen the world through five United Kingdom prime ministers, four Indianapolis Colts season starting quarterbacks, three United States presidents, two University of Georgia head football coaches, and just one true born blowhard of a host. Only to see the Nobel Prize in Physics recently awarded to a trio of physicists whose accomplishments that justified their prize include proving the idea that the universe is not actually real. That while we may experience the world as though it were real, it doesn't seem to actually exist here until we observe it, until someone takes notice of it, measures it, attempts to make sense of it. I guess what this podcast is saying is that while it may often seem like the world is an absurd place, too preposterous to actually exist as experienced, it's perhaps more correct to say that it doesn't actually exist at all. That it is only in observing it that we have made it concrete. That in our measurement of it, we have actually determined it. Which raises the very important question. Just what the fuck are we doing here, then? My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host, that's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah. Here we are, allegedly. Lori's here, too. How you doing, Lori? I'm a little disappointed you didn't partridge in a pear tree, that one. Yeah, I thought you were heading that direction. Oh, yeah, that was sort of the idea. Well, you <laughs> executed it poorly, then. Lori is disappointed. <laughs> Tonight is Monday, October 24th, 2022. Here on a Monday night, I feel like we just did this last week. We couldn't yeah. possibly have anything else to go on about after just... <laughs> we don't. By the way... Doing this for two hours last Wednesday. I assumed all this time that this was a childhood thing, but uh, going back to the top, as far as this is all nonsense, when I was young, I don't know when I first came up with this idea and when I stopped but i used to think that the world only existed through me because that was my only understanding of it so like these you know people would say about things that happened in the past and i would just say oh you're it's just a backstory like for some reason i just didn't think anything actually existed except right. through me and so when i went to sleep there's no nothing way to happened. prove that it does right yeah, there's <laughs> literally no way to prove it it's entirely a leap of faith in the even in the concept of the existence of literally anyone else in um I don't know, eighth grade, my friend Lauren, kind of out of nowhere, she was like, what do you think Sharon Stone is doing right now? <laughs> like, you think she's, like, walking up a flight of stairs? Yeah. And just, like, picturing someone else yeah. existing now. It's always a weird feeling. Yeah, it is. It's very weird. And, and I... I sometimes have that whenever I go to some foreign place. When I went to Brazil, I was like, look at this. All these people exist, and they speak this weird <laughs> other language, and they're, 
they don't care about like they don't even know I exist. Just like I didn't know until now that they ex- it's very very weird. What do you think? Yeah, it's people think about it, like Sharon Stone, for example. I just sometimes wonder, like, what what's Jim Caldwell up to? <laughs> yeah. That is true. Huh? Remember Jim Caldwell? <laughs> oh, the great head coach. He got just rid of him standing too soon. there on the sidelines, not emoting <laughs> at all in any direction. It's remarkable how he had that face. Just very like it's like there's nothing going on behind. Like there's I don't know. One of the most stoic. I think that's the most generous yes. way of of putting yes. it. Uh, the most stoic <laughs> NFL coaches I can think of. I don't think I've seen them ever animated, even like in a bungled call or any sort of thing during the game. Those are all the good coaches. Yeah. I uh, heard you went to the beach this weekend, Abe. Yeah, I went to some beach I didn't know existed uh, in South Carolina, Edesto Beach. Very pleasant. Very There's a bunch of new beaches there that didn't exist. Nude beaches? <laughs> Newer, new beaches. New. Oh, new. new. Sorry. Yeah. But no, it's fun. There was some weird mosquito-like fly that uh, wasn't... They, they call them no seems and I think it's just because yeah. you can't see them or whatever. Yeah, you can't uh, see them. Yeah, the first day, there was no issue, but by the third day, I was like, okay, I've been bit everywhere. And uh, other than that, it was a lot of fun. Sounds unpleasant. Were you, like, was it warm enough to be on the beach and it in the like water? It was like in the seven. Well, I didn't go in the water, but uh, we're on the beach to throw in the ball and just kind of hanging out. Um, and yeah, it was like in the mid-70s. It was perfectly fine. It was... Yeah. I guess hospitable for those little shits. Well, that's good. We had sports this weekend. We'll get to what we watched later. It wasn't. It wasn't anything good. That's for goddamn sure. <laughs> hey, I got a silly thing to start off the show with here. Uh, roll. The uh, are you a big emoji user? I, I know the answer <laughs> to this question, uh, at least in the context of of my communication with you. And the answer to that is. Uh, no, you are not a big emoji user in our context. Right. So, yeah, not only in this context or any. Now, are the emojis the one with the faces? Okay, so like on your phone there. Yeah. When you have your the keyboard. Thumbs up if you and just the thumbs up and the Any of those are emojis. Okay. So faces or hearts or hand signals, not bitmoji which is like the picture of the of your little avatar. Okay. No, that's for that that is exclusively for absolute psychopaths okay the, the usage like and my grandmother like the the yeah, people who usually use, just boomers yeah <laughs> calm down sorry anyone no i anyone who uses bitmoji is either i think that's how you could most easily identify someone that i would consider having big like ant energy like having like <laughs> big what like not, not the not the aunt like aunt, oh, someone's okay. aunt. Okay. Like if you if you are a person, you could be 22 years old or you could be 65 years old. You could be male, female. This is a non-gender thing. But if you use Bitmoji, you've got big aunt energy in my book. <laughs> it's the only explanation. My, anyway, I have not a cousin. That. I have a young Gen Z cousin who's got big aunt energy, and I have a I have a you know my actual great my grandmother is nearly 90 has big aunt energy as well she so, uses bitmoji not not just to finish off the point not only do i not use uh, the emojis i for a lot of the pictures i can't even understand what they represent i, I have like this weird face thing <laughs> face it, face blindness of the emojis yes, yeah like you know how some people have that of actual humans which i find weird well, the the smiley faces can be hard to see right i think the smiley face but, like I can, if i send you a heart emoji or right. a thumbs up emoji you know what i mean 
Right. Yeah. Those. I think that there's like four or five that I can handle. But you know, nowadays there's like a million of these little things, and I don't know what like ninety percent of them mean. Uh, and so I just, I, you know, most people will have the message in writing, and then they'll add that at the end, so it won't matter. But uh, there's at least one friend that I have. They communicate too much into the emojis, so I can't really even get any context clues. But anyways, no, I don't yeah. use them. Right, which is the correct stance, generally. Well, speaking. there's no correct stance. You just use whatever you're into. I mean, do you, do you know any friends who, uh, instead of texting you, they constantly send you like Dudes voice memos? Dudes don't do it as much. Uh, voice memo is uh, similarly psychotic, in my opinion. Oh, that, that's very weird. That's that's not okay. <laughs> are are we in like? Like maybe if you're like you do instead. If you're in like you a weird like you do your like, stupid shrug thing that takes up like ten. Oh no, that's the, that's the only emoji. The only shrug. emoji is the shrug. Is the shruggy? I can read that. The shrug one. Is right, very that's clear. the best one, it, and it's and it's perfect. Like there's never been, and I don't do the. I'm not talking about the yellow guy with the with the little yeah, yeah, hands yeah. up. Like yeah. I don't do that one. Yeah. I actually go out. And find because I don't actually type it out myself either. I Google whenever I use the shrug emoji. Here's what you know has preceded your receipt of the shrug emoji from me is I Google shrug emoji yeah. and then go to the website and then hold down the copy paste function and then copy and paste it into my messages. That's so fucking weird. You think bitmojis are psychotic, but what you do is fine. Oh, no, I'm revealing a deep psychosis, I think. Okay. Also, that's got to that be an easier way. Anyway, it's a perfect ex- – emojis have their place. Yes. Basically – they're the texting version of gestures. Right. Like of right. nonverbal communication. Right. I'm not using words for this. Right. I'm using something else. Right. No, no. They, In the same way that yeah. I've, I have forever rejected the use of any reaction on Facebook except the one that we got at the outset. The, the thumbs up, the yeah. like. The like. If I've given more than one heart react to anything on Facebook, I would be very surprised. Like, I'm sure that it happened, but, or, or it may be you a ha ha now because when someone's pet dies. Yeah. So I still do the thumbs up. Like somebody posts a big weepy tribute to their dead cat on Facebook. Yeah. I just I give it the <laughs> thumbs up. Loud and clear. <laughs> I'm sorry. You. I'm not going to hold, I'm not going to give you the, the, the sad react button. Right. I'm just, I'm not going to do it. And there are, there are holdouts because you ever see these things where somebody's got a big, long, sad thing, like oh, I have cancer and it's a real bummer, but you know, we're going to power through this. I give it the thumbs up. It gets the, it gets the like react. That's, that's what you're getting out of me. <laughs> Yeah, in those, in those situations, if I if I actually know the person, because a lot of them I don't know, but if I know them, I will reach out to them directly. Right, right. You know, if, no, that's not what we're talking about. Right. Don't change the conversation. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, like, I I think the then I would like it, but in this case, I because I was like, I don't know if this conveys what I'm trying to get at because it's very limiting. I mean, I guess I could use all the other buttons, but I'm stubborn like you. Then I would use the like button, which didn't give it. The right context. Right. A new poll came out, and it made the rounds on slow news days, I guess, out there. And here we are talking about it. So <laughs> I guess that explains it. Uh, but apparently Gen Z, it has been revealed that the the young kids... No, first, first, I have to interrupt with a... We should not even be talking about what the internet says Gen Z thinks. Okay, continue. Right. But apparently... Apparently, they've determined that Gen Z finds the thumbs up emoji, and, along with a handful of other emojis, 
to be like passive aggressive and arguably hostile, especially huh. when deployed in like a workplace setting. The thumbs up? Yeah. Right, like just just throwing somebody a thumbs up apparently can be received as like without words passive aggressive or hostile. I mean that's that's a reach. I mean there are some things oh, that I, are, I feel like it makes sense, but fuck Gen Z. Right, because I mean I, how can you even possibly misconstrue a thumbs up as anything other than just all right. I get it. It seems like I have nothing to say to you and I will say nothing. It it seems passive I can totally hundred percent feel what they say in this you know this idea that gen z is feeling right like if i'm if i give you a lot of information let's say it's about work like i completed this and i'm gonna work on this and i will let you know if anything else happens yes. and you just send me a thumbs up okay. not thanks not <laughs> Awesome, thank you. Just thumbs up. To, to be Just fair, like, well, fuck you then. To be I fair, won't tell you anything. To be fair to the youths, I would also, if I were sending someone a thumbs up in that fashion, likely be using it in a passive aggressive exactly. and, and partially hostile, hostile so, way. So, like, that's the thing. Okay, so basically, the the situation doesn't call for a thumbs up, and somebody gives you a thumbs up anyway. But I mean, that could be true. Of it's not limited to the thumbs up. Right. I mean, no, it's not. Yeah, it's just also who cares what Gen Z thinks? Like they're the worst. <laughs> I've long avoided using emojis at all. Like I said, I just use the shrugging from time to time. I bring it up <laughs> because I want to talk, as usual, about some of the replies. Which and this article I'll, I'll link to. It's from CNET. It might have been published somewhere else first. I'm not sure. It is responding to a Daily Mail article that was calling out this. And, and of course, a lot of this is just its just as ephemeral and total bullshit as we saw this thing on Reddit and now we're going to write a whole yeah. article about yeah. it. And yeah. so like, yeah. like anything that's considered a trends piece yeah. in the Internet is basically just somebody poking like dig or reddit.com with a stick to see like literally you can go to reddit and if there's like a controversial subject that's been broached on the on the front page reliably one of the first top comments under the thread is a hand wave emoji at buzzfeed yeah they're acknowledging that this entire conversation wouldn't even exist save for the fact that some buzzfeed editor is trying to get something to write about so right. it's like what's the the top five times you've ever been caught masturbating by your parents. It's like, yeah, somebody seeded that on Reddit to start with. That was right. not a naturally occurring trend that happened. But, you know, I mean, in, in a way, it kind of makes sense. I mean, Reddit and other such forums, you can almost use as testing grounds to see what story gets a lot of engagement and, and what sort of story gets a lot of traction. And then if one of those kind of makes it through, because there's so many stories on Reddit and other, uh, like, dig... Uh, but there will be some where it'll just like overnight go to like, oh, there's like 10,000 comments over this nonsense. And so somebody right. who's got such a job is going to say, well, there you go. That's that's my work for the day. I'm just going to repurpose this discussion for in, in article form and uh, see what happens. So I can kind of see a lazy person doing that. you know. Sure. And, and yeah. Like I said, I can identify with the idea of using emojis in a passive-aggressive way. I long have tried to only use GIFs as both a hilarious 
only a, only the perfect GIF right. gets used by me, of course. But also in the same way that I only use the the only puns that I think are good are the puns that I came up with. Yeah. Like every, every every other pun is rejected out of hand yeah. as it's hacky helpful. as hacky bullshit. But if I have come up with a pun, oh, it's so fucking smart! I can't possibly keep God, it to myself. So good and smart. Same thing with the gifs. Like I'm not gonna send. Like I will frown upon most use of gifs as replies to things. But if I'm doing it, obviously yeah, it course. is hilarious and awesome. Of course. Like I said, I'm only bringing this up because I, I want to talk about the way that everything gets. We've mentioned recently about how everything is automatically catastrophized yes. in in online discourse. And so I'm reading through this article, and I get to one of the tweets that this person has decided to include in their rundown of people talking about the use of the thumbs up online. And it's from a blue check called Olivia Juliana, and I'll click on her now to see if we can get anything about her biography just from her Twitter bio. Let's see here. She is a director of politics at Gen Z for Change, loud and proud. Young people, this is what Olivia had tweeted that got included in this article. Young people do not give a shit about a thumbs up emoji. I don't know why media people think that that's at the front of our minds. We just want health care and to be able to make decisions about our own bodies. I wonder why you find it so funny. I think it's... I find it hilarious, and Abe laughed, so right. he must find I mean, it funny as well. It's clearly just a fluff story. I mean, it's just one in a series of articles. It's weird that you would get so gun ho about, like, oh, the Gen Z, they prefer this stupid thing. Like, it's just a slice-of-life kind of nonsense story. Uh, but you, it's just it's, – it's the most trashy, throwaway sort right. of article that you could write about, and it's like, so this – this crosses Olivia's transom across her her Twitter feed or whatever, and she's like, "Oh, why? Why are we always hearing about these things that apparently we care about when all we want is free health care and I mean, abortions?" I still relate, right? I think you know, if I'm her, that's like the tenth one of those I've seen today, and and eight was too many, yeah. and it's just like, stop fucking talking about this. Talk about things that matter. Jesus Christ. The constant catastrophizing I find never not amusing, at least when it's in this sort of context. I, I suspect it, that the, they're like, "Oh, I got them!" Like with my, like you know, <laughs> sobered them up to right, the. But real not everything concerns. is about the fucking moral <laughs> yeah, high ground. Right. Like you don't yeah. go because like Stephen A. Smith gets off a good rant, and there's like a few people in your Twitter feed who have retweeted it. Nobody goes in there and says, "What about the starving children yeah, in Somalia? Exactly. You psychopaths!" Right? Like right. no. no Nobody does that. Right. Right. Uh, something is just frivolous non- stuff that people just kind of read and just move on. We talked about this possibly on the show, probably not. You remember in the – I mean I'm sure that this goes back way farther than that. But I remember in the NBA playoffs, there were all of these people who were – they kept gluing their hands to shit. They were doing like what? The protesters, they would show up at the NBA playoff oh, game. Oh, that's and then, like, right. But wasn't the, try to glue themselves to the parquet floor? The glue stuff specifically wasn't it some sort of weird? They're going to kill a bunch of chicken because they had the flu or something. They're like, ah, oh, right. So three they, million. I think kill that them all. a couple of those protests were about the fact that one of the owners also is involved in like the chicken trade. Yes, and like the, their the, the chickens, owner. right? Like five million of their chickens or something were going to be put down because they had the bird flu or right. were exposed to some sort of chicken disease and had to be murdered and the the way that they do that is apparently 
not not terribly pleasant. Right. I'm no. not sure that there is a there's not a pleasant way to kill five million birds like all at once. Probably. How did they go? This one they they burn them alive or something or isn't it some some weird thing? But basically there was like, like no other uh, way to do it. Apparently, there's no good way. They yeah they I think they like close all the windows and like suffocate slash heat them out or something. I don't yeah. think there's burning, but there's there is no, like I, it's an unpleasant heat death. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Well, it matters <laughs> to those people. Uh, right. It should. Probably matters to the chickens, <laughs> at least briefly. No, but. it doesn't. <laughs> They're chickens. Anyway, I bring that up only because there's been a rash of protests at art galleries where people yes. are like throwing something at the art and then at the same time or shortly thereafter gluing themselves either to the wall or to the work of art itself. First of all, this seems like a very bad way of getting your point across. <laughs> uh, Unless your point is that art is bad. Right. If your point is art is right. bullshit right. and we shouldn't like we shouldn't take one work of art and elevate it above all of the other works of art. Like what what makes a Magritte a Magritte? Like who fucking cares? Like there are great painters everywhere. Why do we care about this person's art? Or maybe it's like a it's a stolen piece of art from another part of the world and right. you're protesting yeah. that. But, like sure. Yeah. But this maybe is like that makes some sense. Some sort of climate change angle, right? This is not it's so awful. It's like something almost like It makes like the... me want to buy a Hummer. It makes me want to buy it makes me want to go on a cruise and take my Hummer on a cruise with the air conditioning on in the winter is right. what it makes me want to do these people. The most recent one that I saw today was somebody took a pile of mashed potatoes and flung it at a Monet which was in, enclosed in glass. And then she and her buddy put their hands on the wall. They they super glued their hands to the wall. And we're shouting at the gathered crowd. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, and for that I apologize. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good about giving people a fair shake, so I'm definitely not doing any hyperbole here about uh, what she said. But she's standing there with her hand against the wall after having thrown a pile of mashed potatoes at the Monet and saying, all of you people here throwing a fit about mashed potatoes or tomato soup against the artworks, but you don't care about climate change and how it's destroying our world. So she, she's like doing a real-life version of the catastrophizing right. tweet Online. that these people yeah. do. Yeah. Like, how dare you make such a big deal out of this thing that I am definitely doing right now right. that I'm trying to prove is a big fucking deal when all of this other shit is happening right. in the world. Also, I bet you... These are Gen Zs doing this. <laughs> By the way, yeah, uh, mostly. I'm not making any allegations about some sort of conspiracy behind these stories, but uh, it, it reflects so poorly on uh, the people behind it, uh, and it does not advance at all the cause that they're supposedly for. That if somebody on the other side, some big oil type, right, say we need to undermine the climate change. Uh, push to get like middle of the road just people who would be otherwise on board just to be like oh fuck those people like right yep come if up you with told the me, if you told yeah. me that every single one of those maniacs who climbed a tree and lived in a tree for six months to try to stop pipeline construction or something right wasn't actually on the payroll of exxon mobile right like i, I would believe that in an right. instant it's like- <laughs> <laughs> that would not be surprising to me at all because it's getting more and more bizarre because like like there is literally like no connection to whatever their larger thing is like it used to in the past i mean maybe i don't know uh or some of these artists like were they funded by some 
I don't know. No. It's so it's like there's really <laughs> they no They were connection. not. Yeah. Right. I don't think I don't think Monet was on uh British Petroleum's <laughs> payroll. No, they were all point. starving artists until after they were dead. Right. Right. right, and like like you're saying, like if there was some connection, where like like throwing the this blood is a, on the fur, we're complaining right. about like the fact that this this Picasso is worth forty seven million dollars, and it's just a made up number because this is just a way for rich people to exchange goods and services and not have to pay any fucking taxes on their wealth, and like this is this is about income inequality or something like that. Like right. yeah, okay, at least there's some coherence to the right. thing yeah. that you're doing here. Right. But what does the fucking painting of the French landscape have anything to do <laughs> with you throwing mashed potatoes on the wall and screaming about climate change? None of that makes any fucking sense. Right. Also, what do you want me to do? Like, <laughs> what what do you want me to do? Like, specifically, right. what do you want me to do? What are you doing in the Louvre? Do you want the Louvre to shut down? Should there not be a Louvre because right. of climate change? Like, I go to your website, it just seems like a bunch of crazy shit on your website. So, like... Uh, I don't know what what you think you're accomplishing here. I, I do wonder. I mean, it it likely will be the case, but I wonder if at uh, some point they're going to change the policies as far as how close you can get to these pieces of art, right? I don't know if that's going to help anything, but all I can see coming out of this story is that they're going to make it a harder and shittier experience for the people that want to go see this art. I mean, I'm not one of those people, but like nothing will be done on the climate change front because of this. Right. Right. And as you're saying, like, if anything, it just sort of turns people off, I think, in obvious ways. Makes me want to turn the air conditioning on in the winter. All right. Moving on here. We can briefly mention the fact that we, we talked about free speech stuff last week. We talked at some length about Alex Jones when we weren't being so rudely interrupted by various drop-ins from the former mayor of New York, Rudy Giuliani, and his commentary on the Yankees game. Uh, but Sandy Hook families want a further 2.75 trillion dollars in damages trillion. to be paid out to them from Alex Jones and InfoWars for for damages inflicted by the radio host. And I'm only bringing that up to point something out that was pointed out to me by a listener. Hi, John. John sent me a link to an article that I've actually read before, which uh, is headlined, Why Falsely Claiming It's Illegal to Shout Fire in a Crowded Theater Distorts Any Conversation About Online Speech. And I, we don't have to get super into it, but it is, and I, perhaps you'll recall, that I did sort of stumble when you guys were bringing up the, well, you can't shout fire in a crowded theater right. trope last week and i said well you can but like i didn't want to get into the whole thing but this article makes a very explains it in in good detail uh the reasons why that's a very silly sort of meme that is very firmly established in the discourse anytime you want to talk about free speech on the internet but it's not actually the case and in fact in the original supreme court case that it comes from it was just used as a sort of throwaway example it's it's not like it's established legal precedent at the at the Supreme Court. It, right. it, it's just a, a very effective meme that we all learn in like somewhere between fifth and seventh grade, yeah. probably right. in social right. studies class. I always thought the the thinking behind that uh, shouting fire in a crowded theater uh, thing was that you can't take any action. You can't use your speech to knowingly cause harm to others, right? Like basically, like. If if I was some sort of near duel and I tried to draw somebody in, safe passage is this way, and there's like a sui- I know there's a suicide bomber 
in that direction. I'm leading people who think I'm just like them. I'm a, I'm in the same situation as them. And I direct them towards their death. And I right. say, oh, I'm the same thing. They didn't. They were. They right. took. You know, they took the action on their own. It's like, yeah, but they were. Yeah, they, you've they, you've described a much more sort of direct way of impacting someone's like that that sort of speech you could argue is not okay because it does result in direct material harm to someone else right and, and your perp, your state of mind is such that you're doing that on purpose right it is not the case that the way that it is deployed in the right in the sort of common parlance if you took you can't shout fire in a crowded theater to any sort of legal logical conclusion you really wouldn't be allowed to say very much at all, right? Because you you could you could interpret that in such a broad way as to say that most speech is actually prohibited. I'll I'll just read from the article. I'll, I'll make sure this is in the show notes. It's worth reading. Its origins date back to a little over a century ago, when the Supreme Court was wrestling with several cases involving defendants having said things against government policy. In particular, President Wilson. So that's that's how far back we're going. Is Woodrow Wilson wanted the United States to enter what eventually became known as World War One, and he wanted to institute the draft in order to have the military necessary to do it. He got his way, and these decisions have become part of our history. But at the time, they were incredibly contentious policies, and people spoke out against them. The government found this pushback extremely inconvenient for generating the public support it needed, so it sought to silence the loudest voices speaking against it by prosecuting them for their messages. In the case of Schenck versus United States, the defendants had been distributing flyers. <laughs> Schenck, sorry. <laughs> Uh, had been distributing flyers encouraging young men. Let's <laughs> go. Abe, Abe famously lover of Shanks. Abe is a big lover of Shanks and gave gave a a nod of approval by, by mere mention of the word. He He's got, already into I, it. I imagine his his nether regions becoming slightly engorged at, at the mere mention of the syllables. Bob, as usual, imagining Abe's nether. Regions. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised I'm not familiar with this court case. Nothing else is left to the That's imagination right, yeah. with Abe on display <laughs> on this giant television here, besides the nether regions. So, Anyway, apologies for my unprofessionalism in trying to read through this article. Uh, yes, maybe sometimes you could say such things, the court decided, in upholding their convictions. But sometimes circumstances were such that such expression was no longer permissible. And the standard the court used for deciding whether or not it was permissible or not was whether the speech presented a, quote, clear and present danger. Like that movie. But this was a decision that has since been repudiated by the court. Even Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, who himself had written the decision, soon came to believe that the standard he articulated in Schenck for what speech could be punished reached too much speech. And he said as much in his dissent in the subsequent Abrams versus United States case, which was another one where the defendants were being prosecuted for ostensibly interfering with the government's wartime policy. So again, I, I could keep going here. It's a very it's it's not a short article. There's there's more to it, but it's the sort of thing that's worth recognizing that while it is a sort of truism in American conversation around free speech, this whole you can't shout fire in a crowded theater thing, it's not actually right. meaningfully true. So just to uh, clarify, so they walked back their initial thinking, like a, the, the justices, they initially. Th 
were like, okay, that makes sense, that that sort of framework, and then they said no. Right. So, But what's key for this decision here is that despite the obvious error of the Schenck decision, people are still quoting a part of it as if it were still good law, as if it were ever good law, and as if the part they were quoting did not itself perpetuate the same fundamental mistake of Schenck and put too much speech beyond the reach of First Amendment protection, which creates its own danger. Right. So yes, they had revisited this very question uh, in fairly short order and determined that they had gotten it That's wrong. That's interesting. Because yeah, cause I, I, I would imagine that somebody would say, hey – a crowded theater, you're in an enclosed space with a lot of people and humans or animals, panicky types. And if you were to say something uh, that has a high likelihood of causing a human stampede, you know, and a human stampede is a clear and present danger. I'm surprised that they actually kind of walked that back, actually. I thought that was going to be like, because in that specific case, you have to demonstrate that there's a high likelihood that a danger will result. Uh, and in a crowded theater, well, yeah, somebody could say, a human stampede. People, people are not very orderly when there's a fire. They're like, "Fuck this! Everybody out of my way!" They're all on top of each other, and now people are injured, maybe dead. Even though when the movie starts, it says, "Walk, do right, not run." Right. Yeah, but when people freak out, they're not people thinking. Don't follow instructions. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it gets into first of all, if you have to determine the exact state of mind of a person at the time of whether or not they believe they were falsely or truly identifying a threat. Uh, like actual or only perceived, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like it, it, it becomes this whole, you're trying to double reverse psychology, both the existence of the fire and the existence of the state of mind of the person shouting about the alleged or perhaps uh, potential fire. Like it, there's a reason that that's not actually the determinant right. of whether or not speech is allowable. It's because it's a completely absurd standard. And for what it's worth, it was not slipped in, as, as this article points out, it's not part of an actual ruling about uh, a law, but just, a, as he puts it in the article, a, a separate musing used to illustrate the point of law the decision was trying to articulate. Okay. He, was, he was giving a, a metaphor for how to think about this, but not actually stating any law. Okay. So anyway, that'll be in the show notes. I think it's worth reading, and I, I, I certainly found it good to refresh myself on the basics of it, because this is, while it's something that I've known for a long time, it's also something that's sort of complicated to articulate in the heat of any sort of conversation. Also, speaking of it being uh, wrong to say certain things, this article jumped out at me this week from Reason Magazine, or maybe it was two weeks ago now, I'm not sure, published 10-17-22, so a week ago, don't blame migrants and open borders for fentanyl entering the country. This is one of those that, similar to the fire, fire in a crowded theater thing, once you think about it for a second at all, like, it makes yeah, perfect yeah, fucking sense, yeah. right? Like, the overwhelming majority of drugs that come into this country aren't coming in backpacks being carried by illegals trying to ford the Rio Grande River right. or what have you and sneak across in that way. It's coming across through valid United States border checkpoints, usually in the cars of actual United States citizens. I would think it's coming in big shipping containers. More Apparently, there's good reason to believe that huge amount of the drugs that comes into this country just comes in in like vans and pickup trucks and somebody's car where they have a couple of duffel bags of clothes in the back and mixed in with the duffel bags is 3,600 fentanyl pills or whatever. Right. Like it's, it's relatively small amounts coming across basically ceaselessly and through valid border crossings. Right. And anytime you hear Republicans raising a stink about, 
uh, we have wide open borders and all of these illegals are bringing illegal drugs into our country and, and ruining our beautiful suburbs. It's just simply not the case. You can basically ignore that entirely. When they find someone who is doing that, it is a relative drop in the bucket compared to the amount of drugs that are coming across the border through valid checkpoints. I would think it would be like the only way they could get in. It's like, all right, well, you have to carry this for me or I'll murder your family. It's not even that. It's just people who are trying to earn a little bit of money. Also, I mean, I I would imagine the the, the volume of of drugs that comes in, like I don't think it would work if it was just going through just like, People that just migrants, like you, like they need to just pack a lot of stuff to some, to you know, through the ports, you know. So it's like you need it to go through that more than just some random migrant that's coming from Central America. Right. I didn't know there were people that thought that illegal immigrants were bringing in drugs. But they they kind of just because you don't listen, you don't listen to a lot of Republicans apparently. And 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 mostly it's done kind of like just they're just lumping anything that's like bad. Just to kind of demonize the people. It's like, all oh, these others are the cause of your problems. You know, it's not like, no, that, that's not the case, but like it's used in that way. And uh, I don't think any right. of them would would need convincing of the fact that it's not true. They're just like, well, yeah, but they shouldn't be here anyway. It's like, I would imagine, like, even if you right. give them. So, like, the movie version of it, because when Laurie said, I, I imagine that it comes in in shipping containers or, or what have you. Uh, that's like the Batman Begins version of things, yeah, where like you have massive this massive organized right, crime. But in that case, you need massive organized crime that like has their hands in the some guy works down at the docks who knows which shipping right. containers to pull off to then distribute to some like that's all made up. There's no fucking Gus Fring, right? right? <laughs> like there's no there's 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 not somebody who works for the Chicago Police Department who has a connection with somebody at the at the Los Angeles docks and like and this giant organized mafia ring no right. it's mostly uh widely distributed uh low-level networks of people who are just bringing them in in their cars and i'll read briefly from this article again uh u.s customs and border protection has reported an upward trend in fentanyl seizures over the past few years 2800 pounds in 19 cbp seized 11,200 pounds of fentanyl in 2021 and nearly 13,000 pounds so far in fiscal year 2022 that's through the end of August of, of 22. Uh, seizures conducted by two distinct bodies within CBP combined to yield those numbers. The first, the Office of Field Operations, enforces immigration and customs laws at ports of entry, points where someone may lawfully enter the United States. The second is U.S. Border Patrol, which intercepts undocumented individuals and illegally imported goods between those ports of entry. The vast majority of fentanyl seized in recent years has been obtained by the OFO, not by Border Patrol. The drug was mainly seized from smugglers at legal ports of entry, not illegal border crossings. OFO seizures amounted to 93% of the total fentanyl seized by CBP in 2019, 83% in 2020, 91% in 2021, 84% in 2022. So that's a lot of numbers, but again, and and it lines up with the way that if you thought about it for even just a second, uh, lines up with reality as you would expect it to, which is that most of the drug smuggling happens across the legal border, not across any any sort of so-called wide open illegal border. I don't know if there's anything else to say about that. I just found it interesting. All right, moving on. I am moving on. I got to find the next thing. This is something that we did not talk about last week, even though I intended to. Instead, we just rambled on about free speech. I, I blame yeah, Lori. <laughs> last week, this video came out 
I saw it at the Tampa Bay Tribune, I think is the name of the paper. I'm not sure if they had it first, now that I think about it. Maybe they did. Doesn't matter. I'll make sure that the link is in the show notes. Sorry, not the Tampa Bay Tribune, but the Tampa Bay Times. Uh, the headline, Police Cameras Show Confusion, Anger Over DeSantis's Voter Fraud Arrests. And as I said to you guys in the text, Lori's laughing. Perfect. Lori's laughing because the guy's just got a hand over his eyes, I think. No. Oh. I'm laughing because of what you said in the text and right. how it directly relates to the headline. Right. I said something to the effect of this fills me with the sort of inexplicable rage <laughs> that I can't quite get my finger on. Inexplicable rage. Uh, but the and the headline, you know, confusion and anger. I didn't I didn't realize that I was expressing an inexplicable rage and so <laughs> was the headline. Anyway, Abe, did you watch these videos? Yes, I did. To sum it up, it's it. I think it was 19 or 20 people who voted in the 2020 presidential election, and I assume also at the same time various other uh, up and down the ballot elections. They were released felons, right? Basically, they were they thought uh, and they asked to see whether or not they were eligible to vote if their voting rights were restored. Uh, and they had assurances that yes, that you are able to vote. So basically, they, at least in one in one of the examples, they did kind of seek out some guidance, and they're like, "Yeah, everything's fine," and they voted. And then after, right? So these are people they, they they've sought out, and, the, and this is the part that's just absolutely unacceptable to me. But like, so in I think it was 2018, maybe it was even 2016, but I think it was in my head it's 2018. I don't know. I, I have the same year. Probably double 18. check that. 2018, uh, Floridians passed a referendum, a citizen referendum, the way that they show up on the on the ballot from time to time by like two thirds majority, like an overwhelming majority of Florida residents or voters voted to restore voting rights to felons that live in their state so we did that in virginia too i don't know if we did that in virginia or if northam just did it in virginia but Someone, it, it, it was in done virginia. in virginia as well uh, basically an attempt to roll back a lot of the this, this is a, a very common thing in progressive spaces uh, but also in in not just progressive spaces in all of the criminal justice reform spaces people talk about restoring voting rights to felons because and i've i suppose it's related to my sort of inherently libertarian streak but i've never understood the taking away of the voting rights from people who have committed acts that the rest of us deem antisocial they go to jail they pay their debt to yeah, society yeah. they get out i do not like i i can see the argument for saying that we don't want people who are currently serving a prison term that we have established is uh what they should be doing i understand why that person maybe maybe shouldn't have the right to vote in the elections although i i, I sort of disagree but once you're out, once you've once you've made it back out into society, why is your right to vote deemed to forfeit forever moving forward? I've never understood that. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there's no like legally or like a good justification other than I guess at some point, whenever these laws came about, they're trying to disenfranchise certain people from voting. So like you, hey, you're convicted of this random thing, uh, and I think there was like some story or article or documented or a watch where they kind of tailor-made, like, they selected the crimes that would get rid of your voting rights permanently based on the type of crimes committed by, like, a subset of the population, like the black people, right? So there was, like, deliberately fine, well, this skews a certain way, because on the books you can't say black people can't vote, 
right? But if you come up with some sort of scheme. I would love to see or read that, whatever yeah. it is. If you can figure it out and send it to me, I'll make sure it's in the show notes. Yeah, at, le- at least in one state, there was some, there was some, uh, it, it was a. It's probably Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, I, that's probably one of my three guesses. There was some thinking behind w- which felonies that it'll apply to, because it's not every felon can't right. vote right there are just specific types and and some of them you know there's logic behind that okay well, murder I think, I think and that, this I, you know that that sort of thing is is different than right i think florida did have one of the more restrictive overall schemes where a vast majority of convicted felons just were not able to vote in in the overwhelming majority of cases and then floridian voters to their credit uh, rejected that scheme in what i think is 2018 and what was weird about it is that that did not, despite all the headlines where you you say, okay, so 67% of Florida voters said that we're going to stop denying people their right to vote because they've committed a felony. The Florida legislature stuck their nose back into the situation and started coming up with all of these different requirements, that the, the hoops that these people have to jump through so that if, if they still owed like a $50 fine to the the parole company or something like that, then they were not technically out of the system enough to justify giving them uh, the right to vote back. Right. So right. basically, they, they instead of just saying all released felons who are no longer serving a jail term are allowed to vote, instead they instituted a bunch of different hoops. And so there wasn't any guarantee that just because you were out of jail and a formerly convicted felon that you would automatically have the right to vote. And the the legislature was slow walking this and, and trying to come up with more hoops, probably for the same reason that you're describing, Abe, which is that they recognize that there's a disproportionate amount of felons who would be getting the right to vote back who would not be voting for them as right. as Republicans. Right. But also, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's a very insignificant number. Like even like this whole push by the governor of Florida to suss out these people, right? What did they end up with? Like not a very big number, right? That they and and then nineteen or twenty, and and, yeah. and it seems like almost all of them won't be brought up on charges because one of the key things that you need to prove is intent, right? And so if everybody just like I asked you fuckers <laughs> to see if I could vote, and you said, "Oh uh, yeah, sure," and so like right, right. So we should put a we should explain the rest of yeah. the story here because we've just been doing background for ten right. minutes. But DeSantis goes out and finds. A whole host of these people, 19 of the 19 people arrested, 12 were registered as Democrats and at least 13 are black, the Times Herald found. Anyway, these were August 18th arrests conducted hours before DeSantis called a news conference to tout his crackdown on alleged voter fraud carried out by state police officers accompanied by local law enforcement. So they went out and they specifically found people who had voted in the 2020 election who had been convicted previously and were now out on murder or rape or other various sexual assault charges, right? right? So he's he's hand-selecting people who've been through the system already, who are convicted felons on murder and rape and sexual assault charges. In other words, he's found the least sympathetic group of people that you can possibly right. find, right? People who served their time for doing the most heinous crimes that we punish people for in this country, who are now out back in civil society, who had been told by, as you're saying, in, in some examples, actually talking to poll workers, right. talking to people who do voter registration at the at the DMV or whatever they have in Florida. Like I think they have the DMV in Florida. I don't know. It's a weird place. Talking to... <laughs> 
family members who were encouraging them to vote because of things that they'd seen on the news, right? right? Like, and and also in in some cases casting a provisional ballot rather than a, a real ballot or a, an official ballot, and like I. And because you're you're swearing when you ca- when you cast one of these ballots, you're swearing or affirming that you're doing so legally that they're going to now get them on on this voter fraud charge, which is just it's while perhaps technically legally true, right. is utter bullshit right. and strikes me as this story. And you should really watch the videos because it's it's heartbreaking in, in some ways. Like these are just people who are going out doing what they think is the correct thing to do, which is to participate in the democracy, right? And then they're just going about their lives fucking fully two goddamn years later, only to be arrested at daybreak by the local cops and sheriffs who put them in the back of their car and, like, book them and then release them. And it's just completely unacceptable. Right, right. And and, and I imagine that a lot of these cases, if not all of them, are going to be dismissed because going back to that, there's got to be some intent to, to do something improperly and there doesn't seem to be any evidence of that but i mean this is this whole thing is just just simply put just a political stunt right just so but this is the same guy who lied to a bunch of immigrants and sent them to martha's vineyard right. so like right this if is that just what if they that do. wasn't disqualifying for you already in terms of DeSantis, if you if you if you could get past that then a month later he comes out with this thing and like i i Obviously, my politics do not line up with Ron DeSantis in in any number of uh, approaching all of the ways, right? <laughs> okay. e- even if he was uh, a relatively pal- palatable, normal Republican, his nonsense with Disney and his willingness to in- inject himself into the culture wars strikes me as not somebody that I want running any sort of big government organization. But, like, if, if it was just this and I agreed with him on everything else, which is, like, unlikely right. because this is sort of revelatory of character in a way that I think a lot of other political action is not. But, like, like there's something about this that speaks to a complete deficit of integrity and authenticity of character. Not to, like, I'm not fucking Don Lemon here on my on my high horse or anything like Are that. Sure? But I'm I'm just – I'm – filled with a inexplicable as i said an inexplicable rage about this because these are just people who they fucked up they paid their right. debt to society as we determined they ought to pay their debt to society in many cases apparently they were hesitant about even participating in the system but were convinced to do so by people who think that it's good to engage in your civic responsibility in this way and then to have them paraded about as examples of what's wrong with this country is just it's fucking awful no, but this is what the Republican Party is now. Utterly it's disqualifying just mean, to me. Right. And it's mean on purpose, and it's exclusively mean. Right. And and, and, and to that point— And I've been saying that for five right. years. The, thing, the, the, the troubling thing is that uh, as off-putting as this is, the disappointing part is that there's a good number of people that this resonates with. There's a good number of people who are happy when these stories come out. And it's very cynical because, like you said, they deliberately went for murder, rape, uh, you know, some uh, sexual assault kind of thing because inevitably uh, DeSantis' uh, adversaries or just normal people are going to say, hey, that's kind of fucked up, right? Uh, and then you'll be seen as, look at them. They're defending those people. Oh, oh so you want you want the child right. molesters right. to vote in our elections, right. you sicko? What's wrong with you? Yeah, you can already hear him yeah. doing it. No, you. This is that, whatever that thing was that we were watching where they got the 
you know, the liberal people and the conservative people in a room and had them chat. And I got mad because this is just what they are now. And there is no convincing me that if I follow some Republican down their road, I'm going to land on, oh, no, actually, that was good. And I'm it's just they did this. They started it. Quick transition to a comment about a Sunday news show here uh, along those lines, which is that uh, ABC sent Jonathan Carl out to Arizona to talk to a bunch of Republicans and Democrats out there, because obviously Arizona is among the more interesting. Like if you thought at the beginning of the year, it was like. George is going to be interesting because, you know, we got Stacey Abrams and we got Brian Kemp and it's a rematch of 2018. And then, oh, apparently Herschel might right. run. That could be fucking weird. And Georgia's a, a long-term red state that is turning sort of purpley because the Atlanta and the Atlanta suburbs are growing and, and have more influence in the state. And so maybe that'll be interesting and, and one to watch. But, like, Arizona puts them to shame right. because the Arizona the Arizona Republican Party has completely lost their fucking minds. And so that's where ABC sends uh, their Sunday show this week. And I don't want to play any clips or anything, but the first 15 minutes of the show are Jonathan Carl talking to the various relevant parties there. There's that Rusty Bowers guy who was been drubbed out of the party because he went to the January 6th committee and – just sort of told the right. truth about his job like his experience. and the fact that there wasn't right, yeah. right in his experience and the, the fact that there wasn't actually a great deal of voter fraud or any identifiable voter fraud in the same way that all Ron DeSantis can come up with is this fucking bullshit. And like, this is what we're concerned about is 19 felons who thought that they were allowed to vote voting, presumably only like half of which voted for your opponent and the other half yeah. of which, like who even knows how they fucking voted. This is the most we can find. Anyway, Rusty Bowers gets drubbed out of the party in Arizona, and he's like a, a lifelong conservative who who is now being censured by his own party out there. They talk to him. They talk to Carrie Lake. They talk to Katie Hobbs. Carrie Lake says whatever fucking crazy shit she says. And the question is, is she going to be Donald Trump's running mate? In it's like any time you start talking about what 2024 is going to look like, I just get a fucking awful feeling in my stomach. Like when they're seriously considering, apparently Donald Trump is seriously talking about Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greene or Carrie Lake as his running mate in 2024. Who else it's would like, it be? Fucking throw me off a bridge immediately. If it's going to be Trump and Carrie Lake or Marjorie Taylor Greene against Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, we're so fucked. You can't even talk about how fucked we are. The fuckedness. You thought the fuckedness was complete, but we're just barely getting started, apparently. Anyway, first 15 minutes, just watching it objectively, it's like, man, there's some good sort of Republicans that used to exist within this party, but like, they're not mean enough. Boy, they've really turned a right. strange corner here in Arizona. It's, it should be the simplest thing in the world as they go to the political panel. And Jonathan Carl is sitting there talking to uh, Mark Short, who's Mike Pence's former chief of staff or spokesman of some sort. I don't remember. Like your classic Republican political operative who's not been very Trumpy, despite being incredibly close to the Trump administration. And Donna Brazil. And again, I'm not going to play the clip, which means you have to take my word for it. But watching that conversation after the first 15 minutes of this show where it's like, look at all these fucking crazy Republicans. You would think that it would be easy for Jonathan Carl and and Donna Brazil, who's the, the Democratic operative on the political right. panel, 
to seem like the sane ones, to seem like the more reality based ones. But like because Mark Short is largely just going to hand wave all of the worst parts of what Carrie Lake has to say and 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 just state other facts instead, because he appears to be on that side of things to Jonathan Carl and Donna Brazil, they have to take very nitpicky things about what he's saying right. and say, ah, that's not really true, is right. it? But it's like, but he's clearly operating in reality right. over right. here. Mark Short, and, and when you watch this, and I'll put, because uh, playing it doesn't really do it justice because half of it is just Donna Brazil like rolling her eyes. So the audio doesn't really do it justice. You just watch the segment and it's like one of these people one of the sides of this conversation is operating in known reality that we all identify, and the other ones are being ridiculous. Yeah. And what's crazy is that after watching Republicans be crazy for 15 minutes, it's Mark Short who comes across as the one who's operating in reality. And it's like – and it's because he says – he says uh, scores of Democrats – I'll just play the fucking clip. <laughs> <'cause I'm> just <laughs> gonna, just, just talk your way into it. You know what? <laughs> Let me play it. I want to start with you. What does it say about the Republican Party that a guy like Rusty Bowers, the Speaker of the House here, lifelong conservative, is exiled from his party because he will not lie about the 2020 election? I think that Rusty is an admirable public servant, and I think he served the people of Arizona well. And I'm sorry to see him not still in public office, Jonathan. But I also think Republicans are going to win Arizona and they're going to win in November because it is a referendum on Joe Biden. And what you're seeing here in Arizona is record numbers of illegal immigrants last month crossing the border, two and a half million over the last 12 months, inflation at a 40-year high. And that's, those are the issues that are driving this midterm election. And that's why Republicans will win in Arizona, and that's why they're going to win across the country. Well, well, we'll get to that issue set. And there's no, as I talked with Rick, there's no question that the issues seem to be favoring Republicans right now. We'd, another part of the poll, which I want to bring up right now, uh, we asked um, about you know, if, if, you, if a candidate denies the election, are you more or less likely to support them? And look at this. Only 8% of voters say they'd be more likely to vote for somebody if they deny the election results in 2020. 52% say less likely. So why are they doing it? I mean, they're still doing it. Is it really just an audience of one? They're afraid of upsetting Donald Trump? Well, or do Donald they believe this stuff? I, I question whether they truly believe it. I think that it was something that was done in a primary to try to curry favor with Donald Trump. But, Jonathan... I think that the media has focused on one side of this right now, understandably because of the 2020 election. But let's keep in mind that over the last three times Republicans have been elected president, you've had scores of Democrats vote against certification when there's no evidence of well, fraud. Well, not scores. It's been a handful. No, it's not. It's more than 30. And there's actually more than a dozen who are still serving in so Congress to this 20, day. So score is 20, so score and a half. There's more than or, a dozen still no serving in Congress involved. today, Jonathan. There are Democrats who voted against certification when there was no evidence of fraud the last three presidential elections. Yeah. So... This is something, even, even this election cycle, Joe Biden has said the election reforms in Georgia are Jim Crow 2.0. You have record numbers of people voting early in Georgia, record numbers of African-Americans voting early, and yet the Democrats are saying it's Jim Crow 2.0. It is, it is. Unfortunately, it is Jim Crow in, in, in the case How of... How is that? It, it's, it's Jim Crow, SB 202, as you well know, allow anyone to challenge the uh, validity of a voter. There are many African-Americans and others, young people especially, who are going out to vote and they are being challenged. So here's the, here's the level set that we should do for 2022. We know that the electoral headwinds have shifted a little bit. Maybe it's, sh it's shifted 
toward the issues that Republicans care about. Crime, it, inflation, gas prices, the absolutely. economy. Absolutely. And, and, and if you list every Immigra one of those issues, mm -hmm. including immigration, there's no plan that the Republicans are offering. What they're offering is a basic uh, compact with voters that they just want power. Here's what I believe. I think that Democrats are going to once again surprise the pundits, surprise the status quo. They will do well. Early voting is, is looking good, not just in Arizona, but across the country. Democrats have ideas. They also would challenge these election deniers. Over half of the people running on the Republican side or election deniers. And not only are the election right, I'll stop it there. Donna gets to her talking points. She does a fine enough job presenting the general sort of Democrat take right now, which I think is largely grasping at straws. The Democratic pollster, uh, I think his name is Cornell Belcher, something like that. I probably have that wrong. He was on Meet the Press, and they, they list a whole long laundry list of things that, like, the way that the polls are shifting towards Republicans. And he just sort of goes, uh... Yeah, I see all that. I just think it's wrong. Like, and that was his whole take. And it's like one of these two people, and maybe I'm overstating it, but like one of these, two, one of the two sides there in that clip are operating in reality, right? They they are, they seem to be more in touch with reality. And it's fucking insane to me that the Democrats are allowing rational republicans to seem like the ones who are operating more in reality than they are given what's happening what's actually happening and, and as as expressed in the first half of the segment what's actually happening at the top of the republican party right now in trump and all of the various other uh, utterly unacceptable republicans at the top tops of various tickets at the same time republicans aren't watching that right that, that's probably true. I don't know what the breakdown is, but I'm, I can't imagine too many Republicans are watching that. Now, um, on the Jim Crow thing, like, you know, I, I, I live in Georgia and we get, you know, the local news here. Uh, and all of it is like record early turnout, record early turnout. So many people are voting. Some people and a lot of the experiences that I'm reading, it's very quick. You go in there, you vote, you get out, you know. So even if you like more advice, even if you believe that uh, the motivations behind the voting laws of recent years is uh, bad. Uh, I can't imagine it. the Jim Crow angle is really a selling point when so many people are voting, and it's going to be a very high turnout this year. And so, again, even if you believe that, it's not a good argument to make to the public because they're, uh, what they're hearing on the news runs counter to that, right? You're not hearing any stories, and maybe they're hiding it. I don't know. But like from all that you hear, there hasn't been any sort of issues as a result of the, the law that passed in Georgia. So like just don't right. open so with that. It's a, total, it's a total inability to take the W, right? It's a, it's a total unwillingness on the part of activists in the, on, the, on the progressive side of things to understand when they've had a success, which they're loud and, and – and, often hysterical screaming about Jim Crow 2.0 uh, back before this became law was enough to take the worst parts of the proposed legislation and leave them on the cutting room floor, right? Like the worst parts of that Georgia bill were not signed into right. law by Brian Kemp. 
And and the fact is, is that if you go back to like Stacey Abrams should be taking a victory lap right now over the fact that there's been a huge increase in African-American turnout over the last uh, six or 10 years that she's been an activist on this issue. Right. right. This should be a chance for her to say that her activism in this space has done a great deal of uh, has done a great deal to help Georgia to get to Democrat Democrats elected, maybe not as much as Donald Trump had an impact in terms of like convincing Republicans simply not to go out and vote because it's going to be stolen anyway, right? right? So he's got a chance to go out and try to get Republicans elected to the Senate in Georgia after his uh, failure in November of 2020. And instead, he's basically encouraging people not to bother. Right, right. So maybe he had a bigger impact than Stacey did. But like there's been an undeniable surge in African-American participation in the state of Georgia since she's been an activist on this issue. Her activism in this space has resulted in better laws being put in place that have allowed more people to turn out. And I don't know, like they just can't fucking take the, the, the fact that it was signed by Brian Kemp, who, yeah, I agree, is an undesirable in many ways. They cannot accept the fact that it's anything but harmful to their interests because of activist brain or something. I right, don't know. and it's kind of produ- productive uh, as far as messaging goes. Let's stick to the main issues. And also, Don Brazil kind of was getting at uh, one point that uh, they kind of driven home uh, more, which is there, there really are no solutions. All that's happening now is that the party out of House's office is just pointing to problems. Oh, inflation is high. Crime's ticked up. Uh, this has whatever things uh, that they point to. No solution to any of them, right? They're, and they're- Well, that's what I said to Bob the other day was like everyone, I mean, fairly complains about inflation. But like, what do you do? What do you want to do about right. it? And there's no, there's no effort. And maybe this would be a uh, fruitless this effort, but there's no effort uh, to apply pressure on the Republicans. If so, if you're on the Democratic side, if you're running for office somewhere, uh, why you're not applying some pressure to get some sort of what are you gonna do? Like some sort of answer. What is your opponent gonna do? on inflation like what is your idea just like pray that it goes away like what is the actual plan basically it's just like hey this sucks put me in office and nothing will happen like i mean the plan is i mean all the polls now are shifting hard to where the congress will flip both chambers right so in the summer it was like it looks like it was gonna be a split kind of thing where the house is going to go to the republicans and the democrats are going to control the senate with two weeks out uh it's shifting in, in, in such a way that I wouldn't be surprised by the day before or the weekend before Election Day Tuesday, uh, the polls like at 538, like the aggregate polling showed both the Senate and the House lean or overwhelmingly lean uh, GOP. And and that. But then right. what happens? It'll be just like when it was Obama. Right. But right. So. And just nothing happened. Right. So when, when that happens, so th- that's the strange thing. So like, imagine in twenty three in January when you have the, the change, and you have a uh, split government. None of the candidates that will have been voted in uh, ran on working across the aisle and coming up with a solution. So all the problems that was pointed to, there's not going to be any hurry to try to fix any of them because it's going right which is why 24 24 is just going to be culture war redux right and whether right. it's if it's trump then it'll be election was stolen make america great again again that sort of thing uh, along with the culture war stuff if it's desantis or any of the other anyone else who could conceivably rise to the top 
of the Republican ticket right now would do so on the back of this culture war nonsense, and it wouldn't be about anything besides right. that. Right, and, uh, and, and that, uh, I mean, you can run the culture war uh, playbook in any situation, but it works best when there are a lot of problems to point to. So, like, that there's, like, a perverse incentive for the incoming GOP to not work with the Democrats because it would solve whatever problem that you're trying to solve, right? So you would rather have this climate in 22 that we have now with inflation at 40-year high and all the other issues to be still issues two years from now. Like you almost, if you're on the other side, you don't want things to be improving going into 24, right? We're, we're on the back end, we're on the other side of the recession or whatever comes our way next year and things are looking good, like which is what happened in the 80s, right? Like the 80s started a little slow, right. and then by 83, 84, things kind of turned around, and you had that landslide uh, victory. The problem is, the problem is with Biden, we have second term Reagan in terms of mental acuity, right. rather than rather than first term right. Reagan. Right. Uh, so it's not exactly like it doesn't strike me as a like defensible position at all to say that no matter what you think of his politics, that Joe Biden should be the president moving forward, unless you think that the presidency just doesn't matter at all. Right. I would like for that to be the case, but I, I'm not convinced that it's actually the case, that the presidency doesn't actually matter much at all. Right. But it, it, it seems... Uh, we are. We have tonight, if we record on consecutive Mondays, we will have two more shows right. before the election let's let's take your temperature abe what's 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 the current uh, prediction i am going with whatever the po- I, I, whenever i see things shift in one direction that's where it was kind of like with the hurricane thing it's like oh it's going right 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 and boom and- so where's what, what's the abe spaghetti european spaghetti <laughs> model on the uh- <laughs> so I, I i think it'll probably be you know a a, a gain of like i would say at least 20 in in the house and like it'll be 50 49 and there'll be a runoff for the georgia race gotcha all right i want to play a little uh strassman we actually have two tonight we have and actually i just did a quick search there's another one maybe we do live strasser because i've not i've not seen this one i know it's getting late we did like 30 whole minutes of uh (laughs) pre-show not podcast podcasting yeah, sure, at the start but it doesn't make it a time that it's I, not i understand i agree but we've got got just 30 minutes of solid gold that we can't share with anyone except the except the premium That's subscribers right. obviously it's now time for america's favorite game show did mark strassman cbs news's senior national correspondent get off a good one this is uh, Strassman, uh, CBS News' senior national news correspondent on Harvey Weinstein. The disgraced Hollywood producer is currently serving a 23-year sentence in New York State on similar charges. Mark Strassman has more. Stooped in disgrace, producer Harvey Weinstein might imagine a movie, The Abominable Showman. It's about a Hollywood kingpin, <laughs> an epic fall, the lash of comeuppance. It's about him. But Weinstein's too busy, avoiding prison for the rest of his life. <laughs> the abominable sh- showman. I'm going to skip to the end here because he does it again. He does another one at the end. So. His health's poor. Diabetes, rotting teeth, and more. He can't walk and he can't see. But justice is also blind. <laughs> and dozens of his All right, so we have... Uh, Mark Strassman with the abominable sn- showman, Harvey Weinstein, and also after finding out that 
he can't walk or see. He says that justice is also blind. Did Mark Strassman get off a good one? Yes, he did. Strassman he came, gets off a good came one. Came in hot, like he just. <laughs> yeah. He had a lot Abe, of fun. Abe laughed this. out loud. <laughs> Right, so that's one. We're going to double dip on the Strasser this week, dealing with the CBS News website, which is never yeah, fun. Yeah, we know. It's a theme. I know. This is about oysters. All right. More of a deep dive from Strassman, not just the Uh-ho! news of the day. Bob got off a good one. This morning, the important role of, get this, oysters. Yep, oysters. Fucking Gail King. Would you believe it? And our oysters. <laughs> the reefs where oysters grow are one of the planet's most at-risk marine habitats. Just in Florida, more than 70% of oyster reefs have disappeared in the last century. But one group is trying to reverse that decline near Pensacola. Mark Straussman brings us a story of what you could call a marine rebirth. Growing a three-inch oyster, traditionally a wild oyster, three inches takes three years. Pasco Gibson, a commercial fisherman, grew up on these waters off Florida's panhandle. Its oysters used to feed his family. That stopped a decade ago. Zero industry today. Nothing. Nothing. No commercial harvest of wild oysters. Oysters matter. We eat them. They're an estuary's cleaning crew. One adult oyster filters 50 gallons a day. Oyster beds break waves, protect shorelines from erosion, and create habitats for fish, crabs, and shrimp. But for commercial fishermen, Florida's Gulf Coast is no longer their oyster. What we didn't see... I'm going to stop it there. The lowest possible hanging fruit. Yeah. Uh, I really want some oysters No now. longer their oyster. Abe, oh, did man. Mark Strassman get off a good one in this case? No, no. I was, you know, I was trying to figure out how he was going to work his little spiel in, and uh, I guess that's one way to do it. No, no. Ooh, sorry, Mark. Try again next time. The first one was great, though. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That one was not a not a great one. All right, we're going to do one more. We're going to do it live here. This is a brand new Strasser. What do you mean we're going to do it live? I've not heard this one. I don't know. How long is it? Two minutes. Well, that's a letdown. Why? So he didn't even get what one did off. He get for doing something. Didn't even try. Boy. That's what I get for trying to triple dip on the Strasser. <laughs> nah. Two was enough. Although, I will say there's a CBS... He's, he's, he talks to the same guy that Anderson Cooper talked to for a segment on 60 Minutes, which is a longer segment about Dominion and uh, voter integrity stuff. That's worth watching. I'll make sure there's a link to that in the show note as well. The long and the short of it is just that uh, this Carrie Lake nonsense about taking a sledgehammer to electronic machines and everybody worried about these machines being connected to the internet or hacked or whatever the fuck uh, it's all nonsense like the and specifically the dominion machine is like it keeps the paper ballot there's a it's a better system than they have in some states like georgia for example i think still doesn't have a paper or when they when they did their digital revolution back in like whenever it was i feel like it was in the early 2010s when they migrated to I remember electronic screens. voting down there there was no paper receipt even like it was just it was all happened on the computer and it all lived on that machine so the the way that it has been at least the last couple of cycles uh you go in uh you know show your id or whatever um and they give you a card you go to one of the open 
kiosk. That's right, like a little cards, ATM card. You press cards. some buttons, uh, you make your selections, uh, and then it'll print a copy of your responses, but it's gonna, it's kind of coded in such a way where it's kind of hard to read. Uh, and then uh-huh. you, you take it and you enter it into a different machine where it gets stored. So basically it's like proof of right. your selections are going to be in this paper th- document, and then you take it to this other right. scanning-looking thing. Well, that's good. That's that's an improvement where it prints out a piece of paper that's like then scanned onto another document. Which, right. when I, the last time I voted in Georgia, I don't think that was in place yet. Yeah, I think, I think they were going. Just, to, yeah, yeah, recently. Yeah. Anyway, it's worth watching because the the Dominion suits against Fox News and various other people really very clearly put a lie to the overwhelming majority of the election fraud stuff that you hear constantly from the Carrie Lakes and the Donald Trumps of the world. Now it's 1040. Now it's getting late, Lori says. See if there was anything else very Bob quickly. Bob doesn't have a clock in his vision. I need everybody to know. In fact, that I, I hide all of the clocks Bob on purpose. Bob hides though. the clocks so that I don't know what the... Re- uh, so that he never gets anything done? I don't know. What's the reason for that? I don't know. I don't like the clock staring me in the face <laughs> all the time. Leave, leave me alone, clock. I will make sure that these are just in the show notes. So we don't have to talk about them now. But there's a great interview by uh, David Marchez. Uh, Marchez? I don't know. He works for the New York Times magazine and reliably does really, really good celebrity interviews. So uh, there's a good one with him talking to Bono about... The headline is, Bono is still trying to figure out you two and himself. That, I think, is worth your time. In it, he gets into this fundamental question of how Bono can be such an activist for all of these various causes at the same time that he's rubbing shoulders with the richest people in the world. And why doesn't he do more activism about, like... So, yeah, on the one hand, it's good that you can get Bill Gates and Warren Buffett to turn over a whole pile of their wealth to these various causes or what have you. Right. But, like, maybe the problem... Not enough. Maybe the problem is more systemic than that and that Bill Gates shouldn't be the one who's determining what happens with his money in the first place. Uh, And it's sort of – I mean Bono himself is worth like $700 million, so probably has has some thoughts about whether or not rich people should hold on to their money. But I mean who else – somebody has to make the decision, right? Probably going to be the person right. who – Somebody certainly uh, The does. government can do yeah. that. The government That's what you can have has, government do. They've proven how fucking dreadfully bad they are at it, though. And if the last two two to three years hasn't hasn't cemented that in our brains, I don't think anything ever will. And, yeah, I agree. Like, uh, I'm very sympathetic to the argument about, like, the Eisenhower 90% confiscatory progressive tax rates where, like, there just shouldn't simply be anyone – who like if you're going to have a hundred million dollars in the bank, uh, we're going to take nine out of every ten dollars that you make from here on out. I'm 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 sort of sympathetic to that, but you've got to be able to prove that you can do better with it than than what they've done in the last couple of years. I could do better with it. I do fine with yeah. like a little bit. Also on the Arbogus future front, apparently we are going to be in for. AI generated music. It's not enough. We're not we, already. We yeah. have. Well, no, because what they're going to do, in the same way that they trained all of these AI algorithms on images by feeding them like uh-huh. hundreds of billions of photographs and, and countless hours of video and audio, 
Uh, they will do the same with music, where they feed all of this fucking music into these algorithms, and you can just go into one of these AI music-generating machines and say, I want a three-and-a-half-minute pop song in the fashion of X, Y, and Z with the following sort of themes, and it'll just, like, pop shit out. What if I don't want a pop song? Can I get, like, a rock song? Yeah, you can. All that's, right. That's the thing. Is you can, then we don't need people to write it. We can just have the computers do it. This is fine. That seems bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not going to overtake anyway, not- every mu- musician, right? They'll just be like EDM. I like, if you if, I, I, if you told me if you told me that the entire Drake and Taylor like Swift hard. catalog was generated by an AI, I would not be surprised. Right, at all. but I don't think it will start there. I suspect that EDM, like dr- hey, take some drugs and enjoy. Like I'm sure a robot can figure that out after a while. It seems like it's very like yeah, you know, and then build your way up. Take some drugs and enjoy. <laughs> we will show that we don't need Gen Z. <laughs> You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast from Bob and Abe. I guess this will be a shorter one than you've been used to lately. I've been, we've been pumping. I don't know if you noticed, Abe. Oh We've yeah. been pumping out like fucking two hour plus episodes right. lately. Yeah, we've been doing that. That's. This is going to be a, a just a teaser of an episode <laughs> of Cast Iron Brains, relatively speaking. Uh, you can find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Head on over to brainiron.com for the oft-mentioned show note and perhaps some AI-generated art at the top. Who knows? Uh, the opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig, although in the future we won't have to credit Mark Gillig with such things because we'll just be getting AI-generated no, uh, opening we'll and closing use his. themes. No, I'm sure the AI can do no. better. No. T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R uh, music.com uh, for real live humans making real live rock and roll music. Abe, you went to the beach. Did you also go to the movies this I, weekend? I did not. It wasn't because of the beach trip. Uh, uh, there's some interest by some of my friends to watch Black Adam. I would have watched it last week, but they were like, oh, let's all go see that movie, which is hovering around 40% of Rotten Tomatoes sometime this week. So... I'll uh, report okay. back then. I uh, I, I watched a this three part series uh, on the 2015 earthquake in Nepal. You know wherever that mountain yeah. is. Uh, very dramatic footage that came from that because there are a lot of people that are going uh, scaling the mountain when it happened, and they're like, "Hey, what's that noise?" And then there's an avalanche, and it looked like a movie like as ridiculous as it is like just like the camera pans over and you hear a lot of noise and then all of a sudden it's like oh shit and the the scene cuts the the overall where uh, was this what so i can can link to it what was it on netflix Uh, it's called aftershocks or aftershock um it just came out recently but the overall solid series basically a lot of people died That, that that wasn't solid uh but uh it was a good three-part series. Neither so, was the ice, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> the one strange part uh, was the there was some sort of choice by the director to include this subplot in this. You know, basically it was just like they, they had footage from all the different people who were there, like the locals that were there. They they took some footage of what as it happened. Uh, the tourists also uh, uh, took some video footage, and so they kind of cobbled all this. Uh, all of this together to make a three-part series, but they included in it this weird story where, like, these foreigners, like these, uh, I don't know if 
I think they're like from Israel or something. Uh, and they, when the uh, the earthquake happened and they survived it, they're like, oh shit, I'm, I can still feel my limbs. I'm still alive. Great. Uh, and they traveled to this nearby village and basically it kind of wiped them out. Like they got the worst of it and they're all dead and that's that, right? And there's just a bunch of like stuff just strewn about uh, and they find some uh, a, a lock they break it open and there's money in there and they take the money right and apparently <laughs> i know this is frowned about in any culture but it is especially frowned upon in this culture apparently because they're about to kill them when they're walking around with a bag of cash and they're like where did you get that from and they're like i don't know from yeah i mean they're dead right. so what that we i mean they didn't say that <laughs> But right. they were about to kill them over it. And I just thought it was like the story of, can you believe these people survived this traumatic thing and look at all this image we have? And then also this side story of, right. it was a very odd choice. Are they trying to make like a weird like colonialist point or something I like that? I don't know. Some... I don't know what point no. they're making, but it was just, maybe it was a condition what of... Is your, what is your defense in court to that, by the way? It's like, uh, I've heard you can't take it with you. And they were gone, <laughs> so... What is the problem? But here? also, the locals, I mean, I wasn't for them like, killing them or whatever, but like, uh, they did make a point. Like, what is this going to do in this? In, like, we're all stuck here. We're all on the same page. We survived this. A lot of our friends are dead, and some of your tourist friends are like uh, also dead. We should be coming together to try to survive until the helicopters come, and you're stealing from right. somebody who's dead. Like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> very odd. I look forward to your entirely uninterested review of black adam next yeah, week uh, I'm, excited. I'm showing you this because it speaks to something that i've we've talked about before this is just a screenshot or a still from the, the trailer for like ant-man 11 or whatever uh <laughs> Mar next marvel movie is and the comment as as tweeted by the person who screen kept it, it he says this doesn't look like anything to me but two people standing in front of a green screen and that seems like a very sort of facile and, and stupid point to make because, of course, all of these movies are just people standing in front of green screens, right? Well, except James Cameron. But, that's all real. Right. So, But that that's sort of what I'm getting to here is that for all of, like, Avatar's faults, and I think that they were uh, unlimited, basically. I, I did not care for <laughs> uh, that movie great, at all. Great movie. And, and this is something that I said about uh, Dallas or Dallas Dennis Villanueva or however you say his is name. It Villeneuve uh, the or guy is it Villanueva? Villanueva, maybe. Yeah, okay. that sounds right. He did the Blade Runner twenty forty nine movie. He did Dune. Yeah, uh, the, the Dune movies. The, the second one coming out in a couple of years, I guess. Those movies are it's shot entirely on green screens, no, right? It, like it's none it's of that's on location. They're in, not in a desert. I think it's like overwhelmingly done CGI, okay. right? Mm -hmm. uh, in the same way that these movies are, but there, there's something about the Marvel movies, and of course, all of the fucking tweet comments to it are like, "Oh, what do you, what do you expect? You, you you're going to go into the quantum realm to shoot this one, you idiot?" It's like, well, no, well, no, like, and we, all the new Star Wars movies right, looked good too. We recognize that that these things have to take place in CGI worlds. Right. But like, this is a, a great example of one that just great it, podcasting. It looks way. right. You go to the webs, obviously this is why this is in the back half of the show after the credits have already rolled, because this is where we assume that we've lost our audience entirely. <laughs> but if you, if you go to uh, the show note, you'll see what I'm talking about. You pull it up on your phone there. If you're Lori's mother, you can click on the link and see it. 
uh, while you're sitting there at your computer drinking your tea during podcasting time, right? Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's just two people who are clearly playing pretend in front of a green screen, right? So, like, it's called acting, Bob. <laughs> Yeah, sure. It's called acting. And I'm sure that Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly do a wonderful job doing their absolute level best to convince us that they're actually in the quantum realm uh, rather than just two grown-ups playing pretend in front of a green screen. But they look like cut-and-paste cut characters yeah. in a, a South Park short, right? Like they look like they've just been pasted onto this thing. They, there's no weight to it. There's right. no physical reality to it whatsoever. And what's weird is that we know from watching like Dune is an example of a movie that is entirely CGI generated, but it still feels like it has the physical weight of of the of a real world, of an actual place. So and this the new is Star Wars. This is either cheap or it's a decision. And I'm not sure which it right. is, right? So is does does Marvel do this because they want it to seem like the uh, a weird uncanny valley situation? Like and it's what they're book. going for? Or is it just because they're cheap and they don't care and they know they're going to make a billion fucking dollars so the CGI doesn't have to be good anyway? I think. Are we speaking of which now? I think it's a variation of that second point because, like, I assume the people who are into the Ant-Man 11, that, that's not the big selling point. Like, you know, it's kind of like the, the spectacle of it. And there's enough spectacle with cutting some corners with CGI uh, that people don't mind, you know, and it's not gonna right. But know. like this is so when Martin Scorsese complains about like this isn't fucking cinema, he's a hundred percent right. It's just grown ups playing. They don't even bother to get the lighting right. Like these, they don't even <laughs> yeah. think about what the shot is going to be that these people are going to be in eventually because it's all just we'll just figure out the fucking story later. Right. We just got to get the actors making faces and saying roughly the right lines ahead of time. Right. But like they, they don't look like they are even part of this world. I don't want to hear anybody giving shit to the Martin Scorsese's of the world for complaining about the fact that, like, whatever this is, it's not actually cinema. Because it's not. It's just something else. I'm sure someone's looked into this, but I do wonder what the uh, time allocation difference is with uh, post-production efforts, because it seems like most of these big movies, they have, like, a certain number of days that they film. Like, these major things, they'll do it, like, in three months or something. But, like, if it's, like, a live-action kind of mostly movie, like, the post-production stuff doesn't take forever. But it seems like the lion's share of the time spent on these Ant-Man movies is we'll just do the basic stuff with the green screen, and then we'll just spend 80% of the time we spent on this whole thing on just, like, on the computer, just tweaking some random thing. Like, way too much time is spent on it. Speaking of dreadful movies, uh, you warned us months ago. <laughs> you tried to warn us. <laughs> that... That though we might have uh, a sort of inborn, even instinctual uh, draw towards the works of Roland Emmerich because of his great <laughs> previous works in movies such as Independence Day mm. and uh, The Day After Tomorrow and oh, 2012. No, that was Michael Bay. 2012. No, 2012 was definitely Roland Emmerich. Well Anyway, we see every, everything he does. We see Roland Emmerich yeah. stuff. I can't not do it. Because even when it's bad, for example, what uh, was the one? 2012 was bad. 2012 it, it is was the one that was great. No, 2012 is bad. the best one. Right. So 2012 is bad. Uh, what was the other? It's like 10,000 BC, I yeah, think, was also Roland BC Emmerich. Yeah. And that one was that one was like really <laughs> bad, but also enjoyably bad. 
this movie that we saw, hey, we we saw Moonfall because it's oh on HBO Max now. <laughs> we saw the Moonfall. We watched Moonfall. And I I didn't believe you when you told me like don't watch it. It's not good. Like. What do you mean? It's not. I mean, of course, it's not good. The moon but like, fall. You gotta yeah. watch it because it's Roland Emmerich moon and it's fall. and the moon falls. So it's gotta be awesome. Yeah. And you were you were not enthusiastic about it being awesome at all, and you were right. But what do you know? Yeah, usually, no, you know. That's right. It, it. I mean, it's been a while since I watched it. Is this the one where the moon Oof. like the, it fall? Okay. <laughs> oh, it's a lot. Right. A, a, so, a lot of weird choices with that movie. What was what's what's funny about it is like, first of all, it's, this is an aggressively bad yes, movie and not in a not in also, a pleasant way. It feels like pandemic-y. Like there's the way that don't look up. Yeah, felt pandemic-y. Yeah, like there's clearly some corners had to be cut in terms of production because we aren't making movies the usual way. Right. Yeah. right. So like not a lot of extras. Right. Stuff like right. that. And a perfect example of like a movie that's supposed to be about the whole world, but feels like it's about 15 people. <laughs> like it's, it's supposed to be about everything, and instead it's like the smallest possible thing you can imagine. But with Don't Look Up, that was intentional. I think it, I think it was recognized yeah. as being a, 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 an unfortunate feature of the film. Yeah, where with this, it was just very bad. It was just accidental. This it is a terrible movie. It has almost no redeeming qualities yeah. <laughs> except for except for how like like oh oh and like usually with these movies at least you have like a lead male actor who's remotely charming or interesting or whatever. I couldn't tell you who this guy was who played the lead in this movie for a million dollars right like now. It was like Chris something. It, well, it wasn't even a Chris. It's like a Michael somebody, I yeah. think. But it it completely unremarkable lead uh, Halle Berry is like uh, barely even there. Right. She is technically there, but she's like, I mean, this is she's mostly CGI, right? Like, obviously, it's silly to complain about this, but like, I have high expectations for my Roland Emmerich disaster <laughs> movies, and this did this did not at all line up with that, even in the least little bit. The only thing that it has going for it is that it gets completely fucking bonkers. At the end, like it, it goes from being about something that might be crazy to being like, like turn after turn of the plot is just a pure absurdity out of left field that we you did not see coming. We paused it for a second. I don't know when it was, but it felt like we were in the last third, like we were just about to be in Act Three. Yeah, and right, we like, were only it, it halfway like, there. Right. The feeling was maybe there's 20 more minutes of this movie. Yeah. And I, I, but I gotta get up, so I pause it, and it's like, oh no, there's an hour ten left. It's like, what? How is that possible? What the hell else can happen? Yeah. The whole world's dead. The moon's fall. Yeah. As, like it, it's- as it turns out, what else can happen is that the moon had within it an alien intelligence, and so there's like this whole weird act, like mini act in the third act, describing a whole previous civilization yes. where they're trying to they're trying to give us like the. Uh, the way that uh, the, the Alien movies ended up getting a crazy backstory when they started making those again in, like, 2012. I forget. What, what, what was it? Uh, Prometheus. Prometheus. Fucking like, boring. Fucking love movie. that movie. Uh, like it, it takes all of the interesting parts of Prometheus and makes it, like, way, way dumber and then just throws it into the last 20 minutes of the movie for no reason. Uh, 
and every single one of the plot like what's what's amazing is that the every plot beat is perfectly predictable by anyone who's ever seen one of these movies before in terms of what the characters do. Like, you know exactly who's going to die when. You know who's going to live. You you, you could almost, and in fact, I think I nearly did, speak the dialogue aloud, like, as it's happening or before it happens, and you, you will not be surprised. But that is around a movie that takes completely bonkers plot points outside of the characters right, right. And it's it's hard to quite understand it uh, i'm doing a poor job of explaining it but it's like they put a the exact right coat from a disaster movie and they they draped it over something else <laughs> <laughs> and it, but it just doesn't work at all it does, and it, yeah. it's just so disappointing and by the way i go and i look this up because i'm like how did this fucking movie get made with this script? This is one of the worst written movies I've seen in a very long time. And and it turns out this was independently produced. Roland Emmerich went out and got financing for this fucking thing outside of the studio system and like lost people a ton of money in the process <laughs> <laughs> because the money did not earn its keep back at so all. I don't Moonfall. I, I don't know how accurate uh, this figure is, but uh, according to IMDb, this movie uh, in the U.S. only grossed 19 million. Um, the budget for it was around 150 million. $150 million in independent financing. People lost their fucking lives because of this fucking movie. People lost their entire careers and livelihoods because of this awful piece of shit. They put their faith, as I would have, if Roland Emmerich had sent me a postcard or a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter. Like, okay, I'm going to do a movie. I'm Roland Emmerich, and I'm going to do a movie where the moon is a, 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 a fucking machine yeah. sent from an ancient alien civilization as the cornerstone of all life on Earth. And then at some point, a, another alien entity shows up to try to destroy that. And in the process, the moon falls to Earth and destroy and potentially is going to end all life on Earth. I would have sent right. Roland Emmerich a cool $50. I would have been like, yes, sir, sign me up. I will help finance this film. Thank you for considering me. Right. And then it it turns out the fucking script just sucks. Yeah, and he, and what a bummer. He should have asked you to write he, I would have doctored up this script. I would have happily done it. <laughs> you would have just dumped it. Like, all right, let's just start from scratch. The he And then it would never yes, get made. I've actually I've done so. this I've done this in the past where somebody's like, what could be done to improve this? And I was like, well, we we start by sentence by sentence and word by word rewriting it. And <laughs> yeah, people Bob don't take kindly to Bob that. Can't, <laughs> Bob can't help. You, Bob can only say we're starting over and then never complete anything. Right, yeah. right. Uh, uh, the director also co-wrote it, and uh, he wrote it with somebody who also wrote the 2012 movie. So I don't know what happened between that movie and this movie, because at least with 2012, I had fun watching it. Like, at, at the very least, be entertaining. This that. one was not fun yeah, at all. It was, it was a such a fucking oh, yeah, slog. Yeah. It was like this weird, inexplicable slog. I was like, why, why am I not enjoying this? I don't understand. Right. I'm not exactly sober. <laughs> this should be the sort of movie that I can enjoy right. right now. And instead, it was just like... What are we doing right, with right. ourselves? And, and and like it's one of those where you get to the end and you're like, man, maybe movies aren't a good idea. Right. <laughs> maybe maybe we shouldn't, as a culture, as a society, we we should consider not spending hundreds of millions of dollars at a go doing this thing. Right. Like that's how I felt about movies afterwards, which is weird. Anyway, 
Uh, we can move on from that real quick. Incest Dragons, uh, House of the Dragon had its uh, seri- season finale. We're we're done with this for the next couple of years. What did you think? I I, I mean I the season finale. I I wish that they had gotten further along in the killings. Like it seems like the whole season so far has been like just kind of setting things up, setting things up. They did a lot of time jump. From what I'm reading, you might even say a, yeah. you might even say uh, that they could have just started with episode eight. That's right. And, they, they and gone from there. Possibly could have. Um, I, I I mean, overall, I enjoyed it. They, they kind of. Uh, I did not appreciate the size difference in dragons. I thought that there would be some difference, but that final sequence or almost final sequence was remarkable. How the bigger dragon was like. How much bigger the bigger yeah, dragon is? It's like, and and I know they're dragons and they're not particularly they're not that smart or whatever. But the little dragon, I'm sure they're acting out of fear with the let me uh, try to do something at this big dragon. But that was a poor choice from the little dragon. Don't fuck with a dragon that's like <laughs> I, that. Little dragon didn't have a chance, right? So, but yeah. that. Well, the little dragon escapes smartly into the crevasse there. <laughs> and then, like, and then what? What is the plan, man? Right. That was very foolish. And I don't know if this is uh, uh, related or if this is taken from the books, but I do, did find it interesting that both, you know, the uh, the shithead with a one eye with a patch. Uh, um, excuse me. Eye patch is the best. Yeah. The Aim- Amon. All these names are the yes. same. But Amon. Uh, eye patch. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. The eye patch fella. Um and the little guy who ended up dying, uh, they both seem to not have full command of the dra- their dragons, right? They're like, all right, right. listen well, to me. Viserys, no, they v- didn't. Viserys says in, in the pilot episode, he says to, I believe he says it to Rhaenyra, he says, the idea that we control these dragons is a myth. We're, we're not in charge here. They are. Right. And it was foolish of us to ever think... Uh, that, that we Targaryens, and it was the doom of old Valyria, as he says, that we thought we could control these things right. when we obviously can't. I, I read a tweet somewhere just to clear up that one thing, which is that in the books, Aemon did not lose control of his dragon. Okay. Uh, that this was a, a decision that he made to to do what happens to the young prince. Gotcha. So I guess, yeah, uh, when when I saw that when I saw that scene, I was like, well, maybe I guess part of the story going forward will be how these families are going to be, you know, the civil war is going to uh, continue or it's going to it's going to get worse. Uh, and the dragons, if they're in fight, I, I wonder how much control they actually do have of it. Because once you set them to each other, that's it. There's no, like, restraint. It's well, just... and we know that eventually there are no dragons. Right, but it, it seems like the, right. the end of this story is that the, all the dragons die because they each side is like... Yeah. I'm going to complain about exactly the thing that you identified, which is the fucking dragons being at fault here, basically, for letting things get out of control, which is, this is now a habit of this show. Yeah. And I guess this is the... Arguably, you would say this is the point that they're making, about trying to control large forces, whether the, those forces are supernatural or political or whatever, that these are not actually that these are not things that humans are in control of in any meaningful way, and and maybe that's the point that they're making. 
But I think it's just like wildly, incredibly uninteresting to have characters, all of the main characters of your show, just be at the whims of misunderstandings and powers beyond their control. Right. What is the story there? Right. Like that is an interesting point to make in a philosophical sort of way. Right. And it's an interesting meta point to make. But in terms of the actual mechanics of driving plot and character, it's like wildly uninteresting actually to have your queen, Allison have some sort of a religious quest about her son being made king out of a misunderstood lyric in a song that she's never heard before. Right, right. right? But like that's, yeah. that's, that's fucking stupid actually. They, and having your entire series hinge on a couple of dragons that got out of control instead of like the deep and uh, well-established psychoses of the, of that psychopath with the eye patch. Uh, and doing something rash and stupid and evil, like that's more interesting in terms of motivation. I don't know what the point is of of identifying the fact that none of these things are in control of the characters uh, that that are that are the driving force well, of your. You show. know, on the, on with the Queen, the the Allison storyline, uh, where basically it was kind of almost cleaned up in the following episode, where everybody else was already planning on uh, usurping the uh, Renera, right? So yeah. like. Whatever her like internal that. motivations were, like, yeah, so, okay, plan A is in effect, right? Let's yeah. <laughs> just take over. Uh, I, sus- I did like I that. I suspect similar thing, well, not a similar thing, but w- when the next season comes around, uh, Eamon, patch fella, is going to take ownership of it, right? He's not going to say, oh, it's oh, just fucking around and things got spiraled out of control because that Nobody would believe I mean, you anyway. You could easily like why make that is the not within his character. His That's not within his character either. Which is because like the eye, the, the reason that his eye got gouged out is because he's being a fucking piece of shit, and he never admitted that to his mother. I don't. He's not going to take ownership of this. No, he's going but the to, dragon could have read his mind. What, yeah, sure. There's a, if, if 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 he doesn't take ownership, what what what's the explanation? I can't control my dragon. He would sooner admit that he killed because then he'll just say you know tit for tat right um yeah that's the argument but if he's like i can't control this fucking thing that i stole when i was younger like that's gonna make him look like an idiot so i think he's gonna have to lean in on that to say that yeah yeah fuck it i'll do maybe i mean i whatever i uh, i enjoyed the brief time that we had of rhaenyra being like a stoic and smart leader and not rushing herself off to war. And then it's like, okay, but then we're going to kill her fetus and then we're going to kill her dad and then we're going to kill her, her other son. And it's like, okay, now, now she's going to be the psychopath who decides that the only solution here is all out war. And that's, that's kind of a bummer, but I guess that's what we were leading up to this whole time anyway. Right. So it's like, uh, it seems like they're justifying a lot of shit that's going to happen. Like that, People will say, well, Renera went through a lot, and so that's why she did whatever she's going to end up doing, right? So right. We'll, it'll be interesting to see how they show what happens after. It was fine. As a, as a finale, it was fine. I found it incredibly underwhelming as a final beat of the first season just because it was so clearly telegraphed. Yeah. When you open the episode with a very nice and touching moment between mother and child, and he's like just this soft little boy, yeah. and then and then like three quarters of the way through, you have another soft and touching moment between mother and child. You're basically putting a stamp on the kid's forehead that he's not going to make it to the end of the episode. Right, and uh, there's this show on CBS called Survivor, right? And so what they will sometimes do is uh, there'll be an episode, like six episodes into a season, 
And, you know, these casts are like... know somebody. 16, 18, 20 deep, right? A lot of people, and sometimes everybody doesn't get the same screen time because not everyone is no, not, right. not everyone is, uh, as entertaining. But there'll be a, a, uh, an episode that'll open with some random person you've never seen before, right? Or you, you only see them in, in the when they're competing, but they don't actually have any screen time. And they're getting a lot of screen time, and almost always they're voted out, right? So right. it's like when... Right, it's, it's the same yeah. phenomenon as, like, you have a... I never watched Lost, but like my go-to explanation for this is like because you you have this big ensemble cast, yeah. and then every once in a while you have a, a special episode dedicated to like the fat guy who won the lottery, yeah. right? And it's like, <laughs> well, something big is gonna yeah. happen at like with this guy at the end of this episode, obviously, because we haven't been paying any fucking attention to him. Right. Uh, it's. Bedtime. It's super bedtime. It's uh we have Georgia, Florida, we have both kids' birthdays. Oh man, we got a big week. So like oh, we gotta get birthdays. to fucking bed now. Abe, you got any predictions for uh Georgia, Florida? I think Georgia will beat both Florida and Tennessee. I'm just a little concerned about Tennessee, which is the very fu- next week. You know, it's so a week after. Did you Florida. see? Th- I heard the Jesus line for Christ. this. This Florida game is 22 and a half points. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. I don't. That's that's too many points. I don't get it. Yeah, bet Florida then. Good night. Yeah. You uh, you got anything else for us tonight? Nope. I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. You can... Such a short episode. OMG. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. And we will talk to you next time. Later.
I, yeah, you're right. What happened to that short episode? <laughs> well, you know, we talked for 30 minutes at the start. Yeah, that's what it was. And then recorded for two and a half hours. So it will not be a shorter episode than usual, I guess. <laughs>